welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. We are starting a, a new talk series today called I'll Be Home for Christmas. How many love that Christmas tune? Bing Crosby, right? You know, I thought about coming with a hat, a little pipe today. It just it didn't, it didn't have that feel. Because, you know, in, in our Christmas feels, I'll be home for Christmas, typically is like soldiers surprising their family. How many get teary-eyed every time you see a soldier coming home video? Like, you know, the surprise at the, you know, at the high school rally or, or he opens, you know, the present at the front door. But my wife always cries. I, I do get a little teary-eyed. But, you know, normally when, when we sing this song, there's soldiers coming home, college students coming home, people visiting grandparents that haven't seen them in a while. But, but the 2020 version of I'll Be Home for Christmas, for some reason, feels more like house arrest. Am I the only one that feels like, this is like, almost like what directives, what guidelines are coming down the pipe this week that are going to be a little bit more shelter in place? I don't know. Some people, I was fielding calls last night. Some people weren't even sure if we were gathering today. They were like, hey, you know, everyone's like shutting down. Are, are we meeting still as a church? And the answer is absolutely yes. Now, what's interesting is that on the guideline, like it's, it's like size five font and you know, all these, and it says churches that are meeting outdoors are still allowed to meet in person. And I was like, wow, you know, thank you God for a beautiful amphitheater and an amazing uh, weather. Uh, you know, we probably couldn't do this if we lived in Michigan, all right? Uh, even sometimes in Vegas where we had a church there for a long time and wintertime can get brutal and maybe it will here, but let's just pray every Sunday from now until the spring. It, it can rain on Friday and Saturday and it can rain Sunday afternoon and Monday, but let's pray that it looks like this every Sunday morning. Wouldn't that be a God story going into 2021, like we met for like eight months outdoors and it never rained on us one time. Let's pray for that. I'm believing for that. You guys partner with me in prayer for that. But uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go to the gospel of Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew. And we're going to be in chapter five. We're going to be looking at part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's most famously preached sermon. You'll find it in chapters five through seven, and we're going to be talking a segment because there's so much he unpacks in the sermon, but we're going to zero in on a topic that I believe needs to be spoken. Because in this COVID season that we're in, Christmas is going to be different, and we thought this series should kind of zero in on things that are probably issues going on in your homes. And from the feedback that I'm getting and, and things that I'm hearing I, I would say the, the three biggest topics that I felt we need to probably circle and highlight and talk about in church is relationships, because there are several relationships that are strained right now because of COVID and, 
and COVID has really amplified it. Uh, loneliness is a big thing right now. A lot of people struggling with loneliness. And just the sorrow that people are feeling of this hopelessness of a future. We want to circle all of those things. But today we want to talk specifically about strained relationships. I was reading an article, and you got to be careful media articles that you read, all right? But this one, this, this one just made sense to me and it resonated with me. It was from the Wall Street Journal. And the article was called, The Strain the COVID Pandemic is Putting on Marriages. It said this, quote, even in the best of times, marriage and relationships are hard work. Anyone here married agree with that statement? <laughs> it's hard work. But the pandemic has produced a pressure cooker inside homes, straining even strong partnerships and experts say likely breaking others. Families are cooped up with spouses trying to work while also taking care of the kids, job losses, caring for at-risk elderly parents, arguments over what's safe and disagreements over school reopening are all taking a toll. Where there was a crack, there is now a rupture, says Catherine Smirling, a family therapist in New York City. Dr. Smirling says that she has received about 20 calls for appointments from couples in the past four months compared with just a handful in the same period a year ago. What's so concerning about this is that uh, there have been uh, Christian authors that, that wrote best-selling books about marriage that during the pandemic have announced they're divorcing their spouses, two different ones. It's like, what is happening? So the truth is, it doesn't take a pandemic to strain a relationship. I, I think what's happening is this, it's just kind of exposing the strain a little bit more clearly, amplifying the strain a little bit more loudly. But relationship problems have been a part of human existence ever since sin entered the picture. Think about it. Most of you know the story of Adam and Eve, right? In the very beginning of our Bible, it took only one generation later for there to be murder. Cain killed his brother Abel. That, that's the, the brokenness of the human condition and how badly our relationships have fallen. And it's really concerning. Domestic violence globally, according to another article I was reading, is up 20%. That means violence in the home. And that's not good when people are sheltered in place with their family. I will tell you, I'm a pastor. But we were cooped up in an apartment, five of us, three adult children, my wife and I, and it was, it was hard. I, I have to say, you know, it was, it was tough going. And then the Lord blessed us with the house here in Thousand Oaks during COVID, which I think that was grace so that we didn't murder each other, all right? So um, it, was, it was good. But, but here's what we need to understand about the season that we're in. This is where the stay-at-home cure may be more harmful than the disease itself. There's issues in relationships that are paralyzing our lives, putting us into dark headspace. There are some of you, because of strain in relationship of people that you care for deeply, you haven't slept well this week. It's been bothering you that much. But what you need to understand, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning, is that as deeply as you care about that strained relationship, God cares about that strained relationship even more. 
And that's what takes us into our text this morning in Matthew chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Jesus is speaking. He's given his message. He says this, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. I mean, come on, Jesus, like take it down a couple notches, you know, just like that's, that's next level. Therefore, Jesus says, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering before the altar and go first, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So Jesus is exposing an attitude issue going on with these Jewish people that were very familiar with the law. They had learned the law from when they were little boys and girls. They, they knew the law. So Jesus wasn't telling them anything new. But what Jesus was exposing is just because you haven't actually killed somebody doesn't let you off the hook because your attitude is in a place where you've killed people multiple times. I know probably, more than likely, Nobody here has committed murder physically to somebody, but chances are you've committed murder in your head multiple times a day, if we're honest, especially when you're driving the 101 freeway. You're like, I, yep, I have. I, like in my mind, I have blown their car up many times pretending my car is you know, a Star Wars little you know, starter fighter. I've blown their car up for cutting me off. I don't know. But, but I, I'm, I'm here to declare to you that Jesus is saying, hey, this isn't right. Just because you haven't done something doesn't mean that you're still all good. Like there's an attitude issue that needs to be dealt with. And he says, therefore, because you're struggling with a bad attitude towards other people, if you know a brother has something against you, stop raising your hallelujah, even though I love that song. He goes, stop that. Put your hands down, go get reconciled with your brother, and then come back and raise your hallelujah. What this tells me is that our relationship with other people matters to God. He desires for us to have life-giving relationships that are reconciled. And here's the reason why. When we're not getting along with one another, it's an, it's an indictment against us and how we're doing with our relationship with God. I like how 1 John 4, verse 20 in the Passion Translation reads this verse. And in the Passion Translation, I, I love this. It's a, it's a colorful paraphrase translation that really brings out the essence of the text. And, and so I love how it reads this verse. It says, anyone can say, I love God, yet have hatred toward another believer. This makes him a phony. <laughs> I love that. Because if you don't love a brother or sister whom you can see, how can you truly love God whom you can't see? So your troubles in relationship give you an indication that there is something amiss with your relationship with God. Because as you're thriving in a life-giving relationship with your creator, your relationship with other people will become better. 
So the fact that there is, is strain and problems and struggle probably means that there's something going on and it's not quite right between you and God. Now, the New Testament alone, a hundred different times in different verses, it gives this expression, one another. I know if you've read the Bible before, you you've probably are familiar with verses that have this expression, one another. In our English language, it's two words, but in the Greek, word, in the Greek language, it's one word. And let me give you a couple examples, and, and I'm sure you're familiar with these if you're familiar with the Bible at all. But here's probably the top one. There's more verses in the New Testament about this one another than all the other one another's, and that is love one another. Here's another one. Encourage and build up one another. Here's a, another great one. Be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving to one another. These are all verses that we can find in our Bible. See, the Bible isn't just a book about relationships that we are to have with God. It's a book about how we are to have relationship with one another. And that's why there's so many verses about it. I encourage you. Matter of fact, when we post this online, I, I found this great article. I gave it to the young adults this last weekend. Um, but I'm going to post it so that you can maybe do your own Bible study and, and go through all of these different expressions in the Bible of one another. But what I want to do briefly with you this morning while I have our, our time together is give you the four elements that I believe will help you cultivate life-giving relationships with other people. To help remove the strain that may have set in during COVID or may have been amplified during COVID and replace it with restoration and renewal. How many would love some restoration and renewal in some of your relationships? Yeah, it said, turn to somebody and say, I could use some. I, I could use some. So write these down. These, these are just basic biblical principles that as you add these elements to your relationship with somebody else, it's going to help elevate that relationship and help bring a life-giving relationship from that person. So write these down. Number one, write this down. It's a really good one, and it's God. God. Just write that down. I know it sounds so basic. Like I'm going to really write down the first point is God. Just write the name God. See, God is the one who ultimately is going to help you reconcile those strained relationships. Check this scripture out in 2 Corinthians 5.18. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God reconciled us through Christ. So Christ is the one that took the strain of our relationship with God away and replaced it with unification and peace and restoration and renewal. So now we have this renewed, restored relationship with God by Christ. God has reconciled us to him. And now because we've been reconciled to God, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation that we're to help bring others to a, re a relationship with God and really, honestly, ourselves with other people. I, I have learned something as I followed Jesus for the last 30 years. I've noticed something. If I'm thriving in my relationship with God, I tend to be thriving in my relationship with other people. But, but if I take my foot off the gas in my relationship with God, you know what I find? I find that I don't treat people as nicely. 
I, I find that, you know, if there's seasons in my life, maybe I, I'm not praying as much as I should. Maybe I, I'm not reading uh, as much as I should. Maybe I, I'm not sharing my faith as often as I should. I notice in these seasons that, that you know, I, I get a little more grumpy. I get a little bit more short-tempered with people. I get a little bit more impatient and, and become unkind to my family and to my wife and to other people that are around me. But as I, as I move in, in, a, in a place where I am just soaking in the presence of God, putting on worship music as I'm driving, as, I, as I'm intentionally waking up early and diving into the Bible and writing notes out about how God is speaking to me, I just naturally treat people differently. There is a correlation of how you love other people with how you love God. I'm telling you. That's why Jesus said, you know, here, here's the, the commandments in a nutshell. Love God, love people. But I found you love God first because when you love God first, it's easier to love people. So, so you have to see it from that perspective. It starts with God. And that helps give you an upgrade in all of your relationships because it's God that's also speaking your heart about how you are to bring reconciliation. You have the ministry of reconciliation because you are reconciled to God. Now God has a direct line of communication with you. He's guiding you on how to bring reconciliation into the relationships that are strained. He's talking to you, saying, say this to this person or, or maybe do this gesture. Uh, he's speaking to me all the time about relationships, how I encourage people, what I need to say to people. But it starts with God. Number two, write this down. It's grace. So it starts with God. And then the second element that we want to add to these relationships to bring a life-giving spirit back into these relationships is grace. Now, this is a very churchy word. A lot of churches are even named grace. But the biblical definition of grace is unmerited favor. If, if I can put it in layman terms for you, this is you giving something to someone when they don't deserve it. That's grace. It's somebody giving you something that you know that you don't deserve. That's grace. And when you start giving grace into the relationships that are in your life, man, it brings a whole new level of life giving to that relationship. A couple weeks ago in our daily reading, we were going through the, the gospel of Luke and, and I highlighted something that I saw that just made me laugh. And I, I've probably read this chapter, I don't know, a hundred times, but that's why I love daily Bible reading because you could read the same chapter like a hundred times and read it again and just see something that you never saw before. So I'm reading this in my daily reading. It says, be on your guard. This is uh, verse three, Luke 17. Be on your guard. Jesus is saying this. If your brother sins, rebuke him. This is good. You know, call him out. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent or I apologize, you shall forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> and I found that funny because they're listening to Jesus saying, hey, if, if somebody offends you, wounds you, hurts you seven times a day and they come back to you and apologize, you are to forgive them every time. And, and the disciples are looking at each other going, how are we going to do that? <laughs> 
Jesus, haven't you heard the expression, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me? Like, come on. Like, if somebody offends me a couple times and, and they're coming back and apologizing, huh, I'm unfriending them. I'm, I'm just, I'm done with them. Jesus is like, no, I'm not saying you have to be all cozy and BFF with them, but there should be a place of forgiveness when they come back and they apologize. And some of you are thinking to yourselves, <laughs> There's no way I could do that. And I'm up here to tell you, yes, we need to increase our faith. This comes from God, who is the grace giver. And so what you do is you can't give out something you haven't received yourself. So you think about Jesus and what he did for our life. I mean, he put his hands out on the cross. They nailed his hands to a cross. Most of us have seen the images before. Some of you have seen The Passion of the Christ, that flick that uh, Mel Gibson did back, what, in 2005? The most gory uh, movie scene of the crucifixion ever recorded on film. But it's the most realistic. I tell people it was rated R for realistic. They took the, the, the Romans took the crown of thorns and buried it into a skull. He was beat beyond recognition. He was virtually bleeding out on the cross and they were waiting for him to die. And while he was up there hanging on the cross, bleeding out, people were spitting on him, scoffing at him. And you know what he did? He looked at them and he looked up to his father and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Before he dies. Are you kidding me? But that is the grace that comes from heaven and enters into our life that we were given grace so that we can become grace givers. Not only are we hope dealers, church, we are grace givers. Turn to somebody and say, I'm a grace giver. Just tell them, declare it. Even though maybe you don't feel it, you need to declare it because as Jesus is in you, you, my friend, by default, are a grace giver. You have a capacity to give grace that you wouldn't have on your own power. It was a few years ago, I was at a men's retreat full of a bunch of bros, some tough guys, tattooed all up. And this one young guy walks up to the, the stage and he was giving his testimony and all of us were listening. And he said, it's taken me 28 years to forgive my dad. And I'm listening to this guy. He said, 28 years ago, as I was a little boy, I watched my dad murder my mom right in front of me. It's taken me 28 years to forgive him, but I am here to declare to all of you guys in front of all of you that I forgive my earthly father because my heavenly father has forgiven me. And man, all of these strong bros, we were all crying, man. Because that's a level of forgiveness. I, I can't get my arms around that. He watched his dad kill his mom are you kidding me? And, and yet he reached down deep by the grace that God gave him and he was able to pull that out and forgive his own dad. There are some of us, man, we're cutting people off if they text us the wrong thing. We're telling people to get lost if they do something you know, that, that offends us. We've got to be grace givers if we were to walk in a life giving relationship. Here's the third point. Write this down, and that's humility. Biblically speaking, we talk about humility a lot here at our church, and that is lowering yourself so that you can help lift somebody else up. Because if truth be told, there's a lot of people that are really 
walking low these days. And you got to get low yourself in order to help lift them up. And what this looks like, practically speaking, when you have relationship strain, is that you have to apologize. Because sometimes the conflict is there because selfish desires kind of get in there where the Bible speaks into this. Listen to this, James 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Aren't they caused by the selfish desires that fight to control you? There are selfish desires that all of us fight. I don't care how godly you say you are, there is still that selfish desire that you are gonna wrestle with until the day you die and leave this earth. And it's those selfish desires that start conflicting with other people's selfish desires that start creating strain in our relationship with other people. So it's identifying those selfish desires and and calling them out to that relationship that you have with somebody and saying, you know what? I was wrong. I messed up. I misstepped. 1 Peter 5, verse 5, it says, and all of you must put on the apron of humility. Peter's addressing everybody here, saying everybody. Turn to your neighbor and say, all means you too. All of you must put on the apron of humility to serve one another. For the scripture says, God resists the proud, but shows favor to the humble. You have an extra dose of grace given to you into your life when you humble yourself out in situations that you deal with in life. That's good to know. Because I don't know about you, but I could use a little extra grace in my life. And when I humble myself out, that's how I get it. There's something about giving somebody an apology, admitting that you're wrong, that just release, it disarms the principalities that want to create conflict in relationship. And how this looks practically, just think about the last time somebody did cut you off, they, they, they turned right in front of you and you were about ready to just jump out of your car and rip their face off. You turn red. You're like, maybe you said some things in your car, like, and then they did the, you know, they looked over at you and they're like, sorry, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I didn't see you. And then you're like, that's okay. I love you. I was just about ready to rip your face off. And now it's all good because you said, I'm sorry. We know that we've been in those situations, right? It disarms the principalities that want to create division in our relationships when you can humble yourself out and apologize. And here's the truth. There's room in any kind of relationship conflict for an apology. I'm not saying own somebody else's mistakes. I'm not saying that. I'm not advocating that, that you let somebody off the, uh, off the hook and just say, you know, it's all about, you know, it's all on me. I'm not saying that. I'm saying as far as it's up to you, own the responsibility for the misstep or mistake that you possibly made and apologize for it. Because it could, it could launch that reconciliation into the right direction. And maybe you know that the other person was more wrong than you are. It doesn't matter. Just you start because you could create, you could siphon the hose with apologies by being the first one to apologize. That's a word for somebody this morning. Here's the fourth one, and this is the final one. We gotta get going here, and that's boundaries. Write that word down, boundaries. 
Maybe you've never heard this term before, but we all, we all understand boundaries, right? All of us have a property line. We live somewhere and there's fences and there's front doors. We, we get it, right? And boundaries are simply saying that there is a place in my life that I, I am healthy. And then when I cross this boundary, it becomes unhealthy. There's a place in my life where, where things can stay right. And there's a boundary in my life that if I cross, things can go terribly wrong quickly. And the Bible... This, this is something the Bible talks a lot about. If you go into a therapist's office, honestly, and you bring your strained relationship in there to the therapist, they'll probably circle this first. Unlike me, I'm circling God first because if you start with God, it's always going to end a lot better for you, right? But they'll circle boundaries because they recognize that boundaries are healthy for us practically, but I'm here to declare to you, it's not just practical help, it's, it's biblical for you to have boundaries in your life when it comes to your relationships. Let me give you one example. This is just a fun one. Proverbs 25, verse 17, Passion Translation reads it, don't wear out your welcome by staying too long at the home of your friends, or they may get fed up with always having you there and wish you hadn't come. <laughs> That's just funny. How many knew that was in the Bible? It's like, well, that is awesome. But there, there are relationships that specifically need boundaries in our life. Jesus walked and lived with boundaries in his life. But let, let's look at him like marriage. Let, let me just kind of give you a highlight of, of like marriage boundaries. Marriage boundaries, uh, Tara and I, uh, next Saturday, we will celebrate our 28th wedding anniversary. Come on, somebody. That's an accomplishment that needs to be celebrated. And we did an early anniversary trip to Cambria uh, this week, and that was a beautiful little anniversary getaway. But you know, in, in 28 years of marriage, I have learned that marriages need boundaries. Like one of the boundaries that, that Tara and I learned by doing it wrongly for many, many times and causing many, many conflicts is, you know, especially, you know, the, the season where my kids were little and we were running busy all the time. And the only time that we could really get each other's full undivided attention was like at night when we're like, you know, in bed, ready to go to bed. And, and then we would do this like constantly, even though we knew it was not going to end well, where we would have a budget meeting at 9.30 p.m when we're both ready to go to sleep. Like, hey, we need, we have this bill coming up and, and I, you know, I checked the checking account. We don't have this much money and now we're gonna pay for this. And pretty soon, like we're grabbing out, you know, our, our Microsoft Excel worksheet and laptops. And like, it's like, no, that is terrible. Like we would have avoided so many conflicts if we let the marriage bed do what it was supposed to do. And it wasn't supposed to be a budget meeting space. Marriage beds were made for other things like sleeping, all right? This is a family service, so we'll leave it there. Um, it's it's not, a, not a place to do this. So we created a, a boundary. Say, we, when we get in bed, we're not talking about money. We're not talking about finances. We, we set a budget meeting during the day when we're fresh and we could talk about it and, and work through it and we're not tired and cranky and, and you know, hangry or whatever, you know? So we're, we're gonna talk about it. Another marriage boundary is like, hey, you know, we have coworkers of the opposite sex. We're, we're not going to go to lunch and go hang out with somebody solo with somebody of the opposite sex. It's a boundary that, that we've established in our marriage. But marriages should have boundaries to really help it stay in a life-giving position. Family needs to have boundaries, extended families. Some of you are like, where was this talk two weeks ago before Thanksgiving? Come on, pastor. I know. But hey, you got Christmas coming up and you're going to be able to use it then too. But, but extended family 
How, how, do, you, how do you have boundaries with them? Can, can I set somebody free today? Just because you're related to them doesn't mean you have to have a relationship with them. I know that sounds harsh. I'm not saying be a jerk. I'm not saying being unloving. The Bible commands us to love. But it doesn't mean you have to go and put yourself into a, an abusive position week after week, month after month, year after year. You can love somebody from a distance. And I really feel like that, that is going to set somebody free. You're under a bondage of expectation that God wants to release you from. Now, I had a great family growing up. Tara had a, a pretty great family growing up after her dad got saved. Before, I don't know about it, but, but after he got saved, it became a wonderful experience. But I know so many of my friends, they have so many dysfunctional families, and I feel so badly for them. But I, I want to give you a scripture here that I feel is so good for us as a church family, for us to circle. Matthew 12, Jesus is there with his disciples. They're having a Bible study. It says, while he was, Matthew 12, verse 46, while he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And someone said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. Now, what scholars will tell us is that at this point, his family really didn't believe in the messiahship of his life. And so they were trying to get him to stop what he was doing. But it says, but Jesus replied to the one who was telling him and said, who, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And extending his hand toward his disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. What I want to speak to you is that you may have come from a dysfunctional family. And they, they don't know how to have relationship healthy in a life-giving way. I, I want to declare to you, we want to be your family. Let us be your family. We love you. God loves you. And, and I believe this is one of the reasons God called us here to plant this church. As he declared to Tara and I, I want a church that is so full of love that no matter where somebody's been or what they've done, they're going to be welcomed in this place and they can be given a home, a family. That's why I like to say we're family. That's why that banner declares to you when you come up, welcome home. We're your family. We want to be that family for you. But here's this, the last thing, and we got to end it. It's friendships with co and, and coworkers and boundaries with that and relationships. I know that, that God brings friendships in sometimes for a season. But has God done what he's done in, in your life, with, like he's done in my life, that he tends to weed the garden of friendships every once in a while? He does that. And I thank him for that because... There should be friendships in my life that I have boundaries that if, if they're moving a different direction than moving their life toward God, it probably isn't going to help me out, move my life further in my faith if I continue to partner with them and hang out with them. Not to say that I have to 
block everybody out that's not a follower of Jesus out of my life, but I'm, I'm talking, if I have three hours in the weekend, is it gonna help me or hurt me to go hang out with these friends that, you know, go out drinking, looking at porn, you know, sleeping around on their spouses? Is that, is that gonna help me move my life towards God versus hanging out with three hours of my free time with guys that aren't perfect, but yet are moving in the same direction in their life that I am? Coworkers, hey, love them, but it doesn't mean you have to be best friends with them. Same thing, have boundaries. Dating, if you're single, man, 101. Don't date somebody that's not already following Jesus. But I might lead them to the Lord, pastor. You, you know, I can pray for them. Yes, you can. But the odds are not in your favor, not like the Hunger Games. The odds are not in your favor for them to come to Christ. The odds are that they are going to pull you away from Christ. The Bible says, don't be deceived. Don't be unequally yoked. What does light have anything to do with darkness? I'm paraphrasing that, but purity. I mean, I, I could go on and on about that. You know, I was talking to my son about boundaries and, and we were sharing. He says, dad, man, I feel like us as young adults, like we need more talk on this boundaries. I said, I think all of us do. It's not just young adults. Our relationships would be so much more healthy if we lived with boundaries in our life. Wouldn't you agree with me? So what your job is and what my job is, we have to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and discernment about what those boundaries are. This morning, we almost had, uh, or yesterday, a tragedy. We got a little quarantine puppy, a little pug, a face only a mother could love. We call this little pug Billy for Billy Jean. She's a black pug. She has a little white paw like Michael Jackson's. It's so cute. But yesterday, we were unloading from our trip, and, and I'm unloading the car, and Billy comes running out the front door. And I'm like, Oh, this is not good. And, and Billy is at that puppy stage. If you try to go chase Billy, she's thinking that you're playing a game. She'll run even faster. So I knew she was in trouble. I just fell on the street. And I'm like, Billy! And she came running over to lick my face, and I just grabbed her. Billy needs boundaries to protect her. Let me tell you something. Your relationship needs boundaries to protect you and to protect that relationship. So God is using me today to help you with that. But I want us to stand. We're going to end with a worship song. And this worship song is declaring that God is building our life up. And I want you thinking about this Christmas season that we're entering into, this, this all be home for Christmas, the, the way that God wants an opportunity to help you with that strained relationship. And be asking him right now, Lord, is it my relationship with you, God? Help me to get closer with you and, and have a better relationship with you so I can have a better relationship with others. Maybe some of you, it's like, God, get, get more grace into me so that, that more grace can come out of me. Others of you, maybe it's just that it's hard for you that the humility, lowering yourself, apologizing, going, oh, God, break that pride in me that refuses to admit that I'm wrong. And then others of you are, Holy Spirit, help me with these boundaries to push away this people-pleasing mentality where I don't put healthy boundaries in my relationships. God, whatever the case might be, Lord, help us 
to have these life-giving relationships that you so want us to experience so that we might reflect you better in these life-giving relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.